Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. Welcome back to our AudioPie series for GCSE on A Christmas Carol. Now that we have had a look at the structure of the whole novella, this episode will consider who it is who is narrating A Christmas Carol and the way that Charles Dickens creates the narrative voice to offer commentary and apply and relieve tension at key moments in the story. The creation of the narrative voice really begins with the preface before the story even begins. Signed C.D. for Charles Dickens, December 1843, and finished off with the accolade of Faithful Friend and Servant of the Reader, it says I have endeavoured in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humour with themselves, with each other, with the season or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly and no one wished to lay it. So, there are some interesting ideas in there. A preface is a brief introduction to a book, written by the author and typically stating its subject, scope or aims. In this instance, Charles Dickens, or C.D., makes it quite clear that his intended ghost, as far as the audience is concerned, is actually an idea. By the time we have finished reading the story of A Christmas Carol, we understand that the idea he is referring to is one of social responsibility and the possibility of changing our lives for the better. So the author has positioned himself as our friend, and even though it is a ghost story, a ghostly little book, in fact, it isn't intended to be scary. No, Dickens wishes it to haunt pleasantly and to remain long in our minds as a kind of cautionary tale. And then when the first stave opens with that very blunt statement, Marley was dead, who is it who is telling the story? Good question. It's written in the first person and often sounds much more like speech than writing. Mind, I don't mean to say that I know of my own knowledge what there is particularly dead about a doornail. The narrator's name is never given, but following that friendly preface, we can assume that we are being invited in to an intimate storytelling moment. Remember in the first episode when we discussed the idea of the popularity of ghost stories around the safety of the hearth on Christmas Eve? Well, this is as though we are being told just one of those stories in the company of friends. The important thing is that the narrator is there, as all good storytellers are. He knows. So we get the idea that he knows the characters and that we are receiving the details of the story firsthand, which means that we are more inclined to trust what we are told. It's also a distancing device, however, removing us a step away from the action. Our version is being mediated by the narrator. It has a friendly feel to it, a colloquial tone, as though the narrator is speaking to us, the reader, directly. True, and there are lots of examples of the narrator's distinctive idiomatic speech style. On the very first page, for example. The mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from. 
That's just what happens when you're talking to someone. You get sidetracked and go off on tangents. So it adds an element of realism to what might otherwise seem an unrealistic story. And also allows the narrator to repeat things, like the idea of Marley's death, to establish that certainty. Without the presence of this kind of narrator, Dickens would find it difficult to get away with that much repetition. I mean, look how many times we are told that Marley is definitely dead. the narrator offers Dickens much more scope than that. The teller of this ghostly tale is able to shape our responses to events, but also to interject and talk to us, the reader, directly at important moments in the story. In the second stave, for example, when Scrooge is confronting the first of the Christmas spirit, Dickens writes... The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, I tell you, by a hand... Not the curtains at his feet, nor the curtains at his back, but those to which his face was addressed. The curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them, as close to it as I am now to you, and I am standing in the spirit at your elbow." Notice the you's and your in there, addressing the reader directly. So, the narrator helps to build tension in this part of the story by showing us how close to the spirit they are, just as someone might physically demonstrate if they were relating the moment in person. And because as readers we are addressed in that direct way, it allows Dickens to position us within the story right until the very end. It was always said of him, Scrooge, that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that be truly said of us, and all of us. So that also reminds us of our role in the story, that is, to take heed of the lessons being offered to Scrooge, and perhaps apply them in our own lives. But there are other narrative conventions exploited by Dickens. Take that once-upon-a-time moment to indicate that the story begins. Once upon a time, of all the good days in the year, on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting-house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather, foggy withal, and he could hear the people in the court outside go wheezing up and down, beating their hands upon their breasts and stamping their feet upon the pavement stones to warm them. It's the kind of introduction that you would expect in the world of fairy tale, a stock phrase used to introduce a narrative of past events, and it has been used in some form in storytelling in the English language since the 14th century, and is a typical introduction to oral narratives from around 1600. So here we are entering a conventional world. We know what to expect. Except that when we hear once upon a time, we often don't know quite what to expect. We know that we are entering a world where things might not always be quite what they seem, and conventional ideas about reality might be subverted in some way. Which is exactly what happens with the arrival of first Marley's ghost, and then the three spirits. 
And here Dickens is also signalling to us his intention to be playful with time. Once the spirits begin appearing, time makes no sense to poor Ebenezer Scrooge. To his great astonishment, the heavy bell went on from six to seven and from seven to eight and regularly up to twelve, then stopped. Twelve. It was past two when he went to bed. The clock was wrong. An icicle must have got into the works. Twelve? He touched the spring of his repeater to correct this most preposterous clock. Its rapid little pulse beat twelve and stopped. Why, it isn't possible, said Scrooge, that I can have slept through a whole day and far into another night. So we've considered some aspects of the narrator and of the narrative techniques used. In the next episode, we'll look in detail at the story being told and exactly what happens to Scrooge. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.